Crest is proud to have De La Salle North Catholic High School as our community partner for this season of the podcast. De La Salle is the most diverse private school in Oregon, offering a college preparatory education exclusively to low-income students, turning no one away because of their inability to pay. Known as a school that works, De La Salle's corporate work-study program has every student work one day a week at Portland-area companies, offsetting 50% of their tuition. The innovative curriculum provides the students with real-world experience, self-confidence, and ownership of their education. When we build stronger, thriving communities, we all benefit. Learn more on how your company can get involved by visiting DeLaSalleNorth.org. If I look at a lot of the challenges we've had, both, you know, recruiting and hiring, yeah. I mean, we've it's been a great uh, success story. We've gone from sort of the 45 people when I started to I think we're getting about 250 now and hopefully by year end we're at around 300. It's a lot of growth in a year and a half. That's incredible. It's exciting to be a part of, but recruiting and hiring during a pandemic is a unique yeah. uh, thing to deal with also. Welcome to Think Beyond Space, the PDX Workplace Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Blake St. Ange, principal for the Portland office of Cressa, a global corporate real estate firm. From the people, the culture, and their thoughts on the future of work, we sit down with leaders from Portland's most respected companies to learn about what makes their workplaces tick. Subscribe at cressa.com slash Portland or wherever you find your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Over the last 12 months, there has been an incredible amount of interest and investment, IPO, SPAC, M&A activity going on in the Portland metro. And one of which is a biotech firm up here in Vancouver, Washington, Absai. And I am really excited to have Absai CFO with me here today on the podcast, Greg Schiffman. So Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I appreciate the chance to participate. Yeah. Greg, the last 18 months has been, uh, <laughs> it's been a lot, let's just say. I mean, not the least of which is you're in a new role. Absai went through an IPO, multiple acquisitions, a new headquarter relocation, that we're sitting in, which is absolutely <laughs> gorgeous. And yesterday was a ribbon cutting with the governor and the mayor and amidst a global pandemic through all of that. So we'll get to all that. But I wanted to first sort of go back to learn more about you, your unique uh, career path, your unique journey, how you got your start, where you got your start, and how you ended up in Portland <laughs> um, at Absai. So we'll, we'll start there and we'll let the discussion unfold. Anytime people think back when you're my age and I told Shauna, this is the first time I've ever felt old because I'm the oldest employee <laughs> at Absai. I've never been the oldest employee at any business. Uh, there's can be revisionist history. Yeah. So I'll put that out there. Yeah. But uh, yeah. career-wise, I started probably different than most people because I took a seven-year break from high school to college. Was driving really? a forklift and intended to become a professional photographer. Was doing professional photography and commercial photography work. Became very good friends with a vice president at Bell & Howell where my wife and I would house sit for his kids. And after spending time with him, I convinced myself I was going to go to college. After seven years? Seven years. uh, Yes. Wow. Uh, So I went went to undergrad, took a job with IBM, spent a year at IBM, but it became real clear to me. Uh, at IBM, it was very important that you had an MBA at that point in time. And I had been accepted at a lot of the programs that I was interested in going to as an undergrad and went back to Northwestern to get my MBA. And from there, really stayed in the tech space, went to Hewlett Packard, where I worked for about a decade, various roles, both domestic and international. They gave me the opportunity to work both in Singapore as well as France. And my last role there, they gave me the chance to head up both manufacturing and finance. And I've really always been associated with manufacturing enterprises. I like to be associated with manufacturing. It creates great jobs, I believe. And HP gave me the chance to sort of run both the functions. 
but it really started me on a direction career-wise that I think I've always stayed with. The second job I took at HP, I'd been very successful in my first role. They had just acquired Apollo, which and they were bigger than Sun at that point in the Unix mm-hmm. space. It was the hot area. Everybody wanted to go there. Yeah. And they offered me the opportunity to head up finance for the hot division. Jeez. PCs approached me and offered me an opportunity to work there. Nobody wanted to work for PCs. <laughs> I took the job with the PCs and yeah. probably got a lot of people questioning, it's the stupidest move. I mean, you got the job everybody wanted. You took a job that they couldn't even get anybody to take. But when I took it, we had three years, we were told, to turn the PC business around or HP was going to shut down and exit PCs. They'd never made a profit. They'd never been successful. Three years later, we were a billion dollars in revenue in the most profitable sector of HP. John Young has said it's the biggest Cinderella story in HP's history. And to me, that really put me on a career trajectory of what I really found I liked, which was being associated with things at a transformational period. Yeah. And PC certainly became a very important part of HP. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I went from there to France. Uh, Everybody said the stupid move. You have the job everybody (laughs) wants. Why would you do that? That's been sort of my career path. But actually, when I left HP, I moved into life sciences. And I think for me, that's been an area that I've been very passionate about. It's really a chance to create real value that helps society and benefits in a big way. And uh, doing that as a finance role, I think is a great thing to be a part of. And it's ranged from really my first job outside where I joined a company that was called Perkin Elmer when I started. They sold off half of their company, a company called EG&G. And EG&G now is Perkin Elmer and Perkin Elmer became Applied Biosystems and we created another entity called Solera. It was right at the time when everybody was working to sequence the human genome. They came up with a new method for doing the sequencing, really accelerated the government's efforts by years and was transformational for them as a company as well as I think what we, our understanding of biology and science. And so it was exciting to be a part of. And our CEO got to stand on, stand on the stage with Bill Clinton and Francis Collins announcing the successful sequencing of the human genome. I don't even know how to, how to, how to just sort of back up on that. But so did, I mean, it seems like you're sort of a, a biologist in one side of your brain, a manufacturer in another side of your brain, and a finance guy on the other side. Like, I mean, so did you go, and if I understand correctly, you went to DePaul for undergrad, right? So are you That's from, correct. Are you from Chicago? Uh, grew up in the Chicago area. Wasn't born there, but that really okay. is where I grew up. And then you went to Northwestern, right? Went so, to Northwestern. So, so you came back to. Yep. So what did you go to? What, what did you study? And and then so you go from PCs and and, and that sort of work at, at HP. What what made you sort of make that shift into into biotech? Was right. there something? And, and like I said, it's, it's sort of your brain sort of sounds like you're a <laughs> biologist. You just sort of you just. I mean, you've been doing it for a while, but it just. Yeah. So what took you there? Sure. So um, for mine, the movement into biology was really a more happenstance that I was approached. With HP, I had spent time both in Singapore and in France. You'd gotten to understand international a lot. When I joined Applied Biosystems, they were needing somebody to help them really manage a growing enterprise and had international experience in running an operation. And so they approached me when I looked at what they were doing. I found it fascinating, but uh, I, yeah. my undergrad, I'm an accountant, CPA. Okay, yeah. I never practiced a day of public yeah. accounting, but I did get my CPA <laughs> and I never have taken really science and biology. That was not my strength. Yeah. I've gotten to know a lot of it because of being involved with the science. Yeah. Uh, and Cause I think when you work for a company, you really have to get passionate about what you're doing. Right. You need to understand it. And in my case, 
you had to be able to talk to PhDs and MDs on Wall Street about what the science was. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of, it's interesting because I would imagine, you know, most in this business sort of go into school and beyond PhDs, et cetera, to sort of get that. And it was sort of, it seems on the job training for you. It's like, yeah, they, you get hired to do operations and finance and that sort of, oh, damn, this stuff's pretty interesting about what it is they're doing. So then you sort of die, you know, it seems like you're sort of a career learner in that in that regard. I, I guess so. I, I really do find the science fascinating and what we've accomplished. I mean, it's amazing. If I just look at the period when I started at uh, sequencing the human genome, at that point in time, everybody talked about 3% of the genome, right? Most of your DNA was junk DNA. And if you look today, everybody realizes that the junk DNA wasn't junk DNA, that yeah. nature was preserving things there that are cross species, you know, plants, animals up for thousands of years because it's important for biology. And our understanding of this has grown, you know, exponentially right. in the last decade. And we still really probably only understand a small percentage. Well, yeah, yeah. So, okay, what, what took you here? What took sure. you to Abside? What took you to the Portland area from Singapore and France and everywhere else, a tiny little place of Vancouver, Washington. So, and I mean, when uh, we moved from France, we moved to Colorado and uh, your, I family, your family, your family. Did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I realized that was not going to be a long-term career stop because uh, unless I wanted to retire in the job that I had, which was a great job, yeah. there wasn't promotional opportunity. You needed to come back into the Bay area if you were staying with right. HP. Right. And so I uh, started looking at what I wanted to do in opportunities and was approached by Applied Biosystems. It was a unique time. The job there for two years, I traveled about 350,000 miles a year each year for two years. Oh. When they sold off half their company, they didn't just sell the products. They sold all of the infrastructure in Latin America and Asia Pacific, other than some sales reps, and half of the European infrastructure. You had a business that was doing over a billion dollars in revenue that you had 12 months to rehire a global workforce and oh get it in place, gosh. deal with all the legal entity build up, the transfers. Yeah. And that was my job for uh, <laughs> a couple of years. And so, so you're a fixer. You're a, you're a fixer too. <laughs> it was an exciting time. I was on the road a lot. When we did that, my wife was not a fan of the Bay. Uh -huh. Her family had all moved to Portland for some reason from Chicago. Oh, is that she right? says, does it matter where we live? Because you're going to be on the road all the time. Yeah. We moved to Portland. I thought we'd be here two years. Uh, we never moved out of Portland uh, and wow. stayed here since. It's just career-wise, I just never took a job in the Portland area. Yeah, uh, I always worked outside. Yeah. So you were traveling all this time, and and remind me, you have you have a daughter, two daughters, three daughters, three daughters. Okay, I've got three sons. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, mine are much younger. And I'm in the thick of that whole world. So. So traveling around, you know, for how long did you, how, how long did you do that stint of traveling that, that much? Was it a couple of years? It was, was two it? years, really hiring the global workforce and okay. getting everything in place. Uh, Stabilize it. Stabilize and, and, and then, making and it then, effective. And then okay. at that point, actually moved from there over to Affymetrics, my first role as a CFO, uh, where they had approached me, uh, really looking for somebody to help them build their business and uh, had international experience that I'd had, as well as understood sort of the marketplace. Uh, you're far from a traditional CFO. I mean, <laughs> most CFOs are not, they're not brought into an organization to help build anything or help spin off, in some cases, spin off things. But I mean, yeah, it's just so fascinating. And, and so with that, how did Absi come about? How, what, did, what did that look like? And you mentioned you sort of came out of retirement. So walk us through 
this re- to me to be, just talking to you for a couple of minutes. I, you don't seem like a retirement type guy. Your brain just moving too quickly. So walk me through some of that. You sure. know, and what did so, you? How long were you in retirement? If you call it that, you bet. So yeah, I mean, if we look, I'd stayed after Dendron. I'd stayed with cell therapies. I was in a stem cell company uh, for a little while that was working to. Uh, spinal cord injuries, and then went over to IOVANCE, which was oncology uh, treatments using what's called t- uh, TIL therapies, and then retired uh, for two years. And what uh, did you do during retirement? We have some grandkids. That's, uh, <laughs> we spent a lot of time. So you were with a grandpa. Yeah. And uh, that was an exciting thing. You know, it was really uh, my wife and I spending time uh, with our, our kids and our grandkids. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that was. Did, I did more bike riding than I, I was always been a bike rider, but yep. I definitely got in the best bike riding shape that I'd been in forever uh, uh, during that window of time. Yeah. And so then uh, so you're doing that and you're tired of changing diapers as a grandpa. <laughs> so you said, I'm out of here. No, what, yes. what, what was that? So how did, yeah, what's the transition they, look they like? They approached me with the opportunity and, you know, this is the first time my wife was the one who came out with, are you crazy? Why would you do that? <laughs> you just retired. <laughs> Why do you go and take another job? You don't need another job. Um, there were other reasons that uh, from mine, I think it was probably a good time to get back in for a few years. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, from that I wasn't going to keep commuting. That's why I figured I never would work again because I'd always commuted to somewhere and I just hit a, a window with uh, my life where I just didn't want to be on the road five days a week. Yeah, yeah. And Absai approached me. It was a recruiter that reached out. I didn't know much about synthetic biology. I was familiar with it conceptually because uh, certainly monoclonal antibodies, you know, Genentech's business. Yeah. I've been involved with where we've had products synthetically produced that we used as therapies, but I'd never been in this industry. But as I got a chance to, I was open to the idea for a lot of uh, personal reasons to we'll leave out, but uh, <laughs> I was open to it after talking with Sean and understanding his vision of what he was building. It was early. Yeah. We had about 50 employees then. Uh, we had, they had their first deal, which was truly a drug development assistance deal. And uh, I believed that he was building something special that is going to transform. And I think uh, SynBio is, this is an exciting time for synthetic biology. I think it is transforming a lot of areas. And I think he had a vision there that I wanted to be a part of. Jeez. And it seems like Greg Schiffman history, you got in right at the right time, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, the start, of, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you started in May of 2020, right? Uh, I mean, April. April, yep. May. April of 2020. Wow. That's a great time to get in, right? <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, obviously the things that, yeah. I mean, you transform 18, 18 years later, there's so much has happened, but, but what was that like in the middle of the global pandemic with, with, I mean, <clears throat> I interviewed pre COVID. Okay. Came into their office. A lot of people around, uh-huh. the offer was made post COVID and, you know, a lot of it, we were never shut down. We were viewed as a, uh, important business yeah, and yeah. it was, we always kept alive, but we didn't want anybody at the office that didn't have to be here to work at the lab. And so right. it's very unusual to start in a new business <laughs> remotely. And from home, yeah. yeah. Uh, and if I look at a lot of the challenges we've had, both, you know, uh, recruiting and hiring, yeah. I mean, we've, it's been a great uh, success story. We've gone from sort of the 45 people when I started to, I think we're getting about 250 now and hopefully by year end we're at around 300. 
It's a lot of growth in a year and a half. That's incredible. It's exciting to be a part of, but recruiting and hiring during a pandemic is a unique yeah. uh, thing to deal with also. And what type of people, I mean, are you looking for sort of lab engineer, bio, you know, biologist, chemist, like that sort of, a and Absolutely. sort of admin side? Like what's what's sort of the makeup of, of, of who you're looking for? And that's the first part. The second part is because there's not a huge yet ecosystem of biotech in the north i mean there is in the northwest up in seattle and obviously down the bay but in portland i mean the metro area there's not a ton but we're starting to you know build that out which is which is positive but what what have you guys seen or resistance or positivity about about being in vancouver from a recruitment i think that uh you're absolutely right there's not a large ecosystem here yet yet and actually, for SynBio, I think we were the first, but I think there's another major synthetic biology player coming here in the process of building out their manufacturing. It's all public, and that's Twist. Twist and so yep. I think, you know, hopefully maybe we're creating a synthetic biology yep. uh, hub here. Yeah. But uh, it is people involved in, in, in synthetic biology, biologists, you know, uh, scientists. And from that standpoint, most of the people that we hire are all coming from out of the area and moving here, I will say it's probably been a good time from that standpoint because some yeah. of the areas that we're looking to attract talent from, there's a lot of people looking to leave. <laughs> yes, And yes. from that, it's worked very well in being yeah. able to attract the talent. In addition, and it's where I think Absi, it's important to understand, you know, we're really, when you talk about synthetic biology, and if I just think about it in early days for PCs, an Apple, an IBM, maybe a pad that you've got, whether it's an iPad or something else, yeah. they're all computers, yeah. but they're all very different. Mm-hmm. Same thing with synthetic biology. There's mm-hmm. a lot of players out there. We're nothing like Twist. We're nothing like Berkeley Lights. I can go down a whole list we're not like. Sure, sure. We're a unique combination of synthetic biology and with acquisitions we've done, yeah. you know, deep learning and AI, yep. uh, Toshin, Toshin in terms of yep. tissue work. And it really is that combination that's enabling us to hopefully hit the point where we're able to bring drugs to market, working with partners through the AI and others, far faster, far more effective than anything that's able to be done today. Yeah. And the AI, when you look at some of that and some of the science side, we've got people all over. And we actually have a small operation uh, over in Europe that yeah. uh, was acquired as part of Toshin. So yeah. we really have a global workforce and we have yeah. a distributed workforce. Right. With a lot of them, they don't have to be local. However, people in the lab, that's all here. And that's probably 80% of our employee base. Yeah, yeah. And I think with the, with with Toshin, I believe there's also, you, you have something in Cambridge as well. Absolutely. So, so you have sort of the, a, a footprint in these, in, in, in the sort of these hubs. You're sort of creating your own hub here, honestly, <laughs> right? And then and then probably through a creative acquisition that you do. I think you guys did two this year. My guess is there's probably more in the future as you guys work through that. But then what, so I, incredible growth. You're the right guy for the job based upon your history. I mean, holy, holy cow. And so what was it like for, for you and, and Sean and the executive team thinking about the IPO, thinking about uh, getting outside money? What, what, was, what was that? So I think when I came on and the timing was probably right, it wouldn't, I would not have been the right person two years before I came here. Uh, and I think they had a great person. It was very much more operational accounting and other activities. Uh, When I started, we had raised some capital, but Sean had been very effective in the amount of cash that he had needed in his first nine years building the company. We hit a point where we needed to expand and grow and we needed to raise a a lot more capital. We actually raised more in our first financing that I was involved with in October last year 
we raised more than we had as a company in the prior nine years. Wow. And we brought in, it was really to some degree, Sean and I talk about it as sort of the coming out party for outside. Yeah. We, yeah. we were the best kept secret. You right, know? right. Uh, nobody had ever heard of us. And we went out, we brought in a couple of very high profile investors uh, that Kasdan and Red Mile and yeah. uh, Aeromark as a mutual fund. And it was the first introduction of, I'd say, the mainstream Wall Street players that I'd gotten to know in the past. Yeah. And subsequent to that, we've done two other financings. I didn't expect us to IPO and go out public as quickly as we did. <laughs> that was not, I, that I didn't believe we would get there, but I didn't think we'd get yeah. there this fast. Yeah. That probably wasn't a great quality of life for six months <laughs> while we worked our way through the process. Yeah, post-retirement uh, for you too. But uh, yeah, but Sean and I, we knew we needed to raise capital. We raised 65 million upfront. And then we did, I think, another $125 million yeah. on the follow-on <sighs> convertible where we brought in Fidelity is a name that probably most people know, but yeah. again, like D1, Moon, Irving, um, you know, a great group of investors Yeah, uh, in that round. And then we did the public IPO uh, not long after that, uh, I think July. So not only is Sean smart as an absolute whip in his early 20s, <laughs> but damn, he's smart bringing you in to help <laughs> take it to this level, right? Because I mean, the, 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 just, just the know-how and the, the history and, and again, you're not a typical CFO. A lot of CFO are sort of operational and making sure that the, you know, the money is where it needs to be and the investments and that sort of stuff. But for you to have that growth mindset and that sort of why around what it is that you guys were wanting and trying to build and then going out with that passion to get, to get people excited about that. Right. I mean, that's, it, it's incredible. Yeah, it's been a great fit. I, I have incredible respect for Sean and the team that was here. Yeah. I think we all bring unique skill sets. Absolutely. I certainly, Sean and I worked very well together, raising the capital that we needed yeah. to bring on board. Yeah. And I think from that, you know, between that and the IPO, I think Sean's now raised probably over $500 million in a short period of time to uh, get the company what we need so we can be successful moving forward. Yeah. And I've been involved with a lot of growth and we're needing to put infrastructure in place. Yeah. So you can imagine we had two people in finance when I started here. Uh, that's not great for a public company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, and we're working on you know systems that are geared around a 50-person organization, and we quickly need to get new systems wow. and things. Yeah. And so we're building the infrastructure and putting things in place, and and probably a good assistance in those sides. Oh, and so yeah, I, I think there's areas imagine. I bring value. Yeah. And there's it's a great team that we've got here. Yeah. I think putting together a special company. Yeah. So what are the um if uh you know you're at 250 now, you hope to be at 300 in the next year. Like, do you, I mean, it's sort of challenging, I would imagine, to put three-year growth path or a five-year, in some cases, a lot of people are like, well, I don't even know what the next six months is going to be like. Hell, you guys may have not even known you're going to go to the IPO this quick. And then that happened, right? We certainly so, didn't plan to IPO that quick. <laughs> yeah. So, so what, I mean, what are the, some of the things that look like for you guys from a, just a people-wise, growth-wise, you, you know, over the next few years? So I think we've grown substantially. I think that we will continue to grow, but the pace of growth yeah. is going to moderate. Yeah. Uh, a lot of what we brought on board is building out the platform, mm -hmm. getting a lot of skill set, and then having the bandwidth to be able to execute on a lot of the programs that we're working on with our partners. Yeah. I think as that platform builds out, a lot of that will be able to come over and work on platform programs. And so I think that we will be able to moderate our growth a bit over the yeah. next couple of years. However, if we're successful going where we're looking to go... <laughs> 
I would say probably in another couple of years, a good chance we'll be looking to build out another facility yeah. like we have here yeah. and, and uh, hiring a lot of people to be executing on the programs we're bringing on board. And yeah. that's clearly our vision and goal. Yeah. And I would think too, you know, as you did with Toshin and Denovium and, uh, and others that could be in, in the future uh, or not just maybe organic growth, but maybe organic growth touching in different parts of the country and the globe possibly too, right? I, I mean, you bet. Yeah, at a certain point, <clears throat> you, you grow as you can, you know, in a certain geography, but then you start tapping into other opportunities, whether that be in San Diego, whether that be up in Redmond, whether that be in Cambridge, whether that be wherever the case might be in the U.S. and then and then globally based upon you know the workforce and what you guys. You are bet. To build I think out. as you as you get to a certain size, you there's a just from a recruiting standpoint, it's yeah. great to be in a couple of different areas to right. be able to attract talent. And acquisitions for us have been a combination of technology that you were bringing in-house that it was going to be far more effective to acquire it than it was to build it, yeah. but also the talent that came with that. And that's where we weren't buying a product that you're just looking to sell. You were buying a capability that expands what we can do as a business. Yeah, creative, and the yeah. people that we acquired with that were every bit as important as the technology that we got. And it's yeah. been a great value add to us. We've got a great group, uh, like I say, over in Serbia. We've yeah. got a great group back in uh, East Coast. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got people spread throughout the country working remote as we look at the AI platform that we're building out. Yeah. Seems like you're having a hell of a time. I mean, it's exciting. A, I mean, I can just tell you, it's just, to me, it doesn't <laughs> seem like someone who came out of retirement is like, okay, yeah, let's get back into something. It seems to me like, you're in your early twenties, like just ready to go light the world on fire. Truly. That's what, it, when I'm listening to you talk that that's the way I'm feeling about what it is you guys are building here. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. It, what it you, is. What you're it's, doing. it's exciting to be a part of. I think that's what convinced me to come out was my belief. I thought we would yeah. get here. Yeah. I think that probably Sean and I both, uh, what we sort of pictured when we did our first fundraising in October and where we are today I don't think either of us <laughs> expected it to progress as quickly as it has. We yeah. both believed it'd get there. Yeah. Um, but it's exciting in terms of the progress that we're making and the opportunities that uh, it's bringing to one build up a base here. And I think uh, it is establishing something in Portland that, you know, to me, it'd be great if we're able to. It, it, there's a small biotech community here. Yeah. We don't have the mass that you see up in Seattle. We don't have the masses in the Bay or Southern California or Boston. It'd be great to be able to build up and get that critical mass here. Yeah. And yeah. I think that this could be a start. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully with others sort of coming in and like dipping the toe being like, wow, this is a great place to live. It's a great place to raise family, whatever the case might be. Oh, and by the way, there's some incredible companies up here. What are the couple of things that, that you have learned? I mean, you've, your career is, is, is wide and it's deep. So what are, the, what are some of the things that you have learned in the last year and a half since you joined Abside, you just, you personally as a leader. Every business I've ever been in is, is different. And certainly starting in a COVID environment is, is very different to me, you know, challenges of bringing in and integrating a lot of people I've dealt with in a lot of different businesses. This is a higher science business than any mm. I've been associated with, uh, in terms across the board. So the, if I looked at Dendrion, we built out a lot of manufacturing facilities and great opportunities, but the science in a lot of those facilities doesn't match the science that we have here. Oh, and I'd say that's probably for me, the biggest growth change for me in a management is really getting uh, assimilated into one where the vast majority of the jobs are high science jobs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it seems like it. I mean, wow. And so, um, 
as we as we close off, if you if you had a chance to to uh, grab a drink or coffee with anyone in, in in history, past, present, or who knows with AI stuff, you might know someone in the future. <laughs> I don't know. Um, who might that be, and, and why? You know, I when I think about one person, it's always tough. You know, I'll current, give you two. Yeah, current day to day, Elon Musk is probably high on my list just because he <sighs> is exactly what I have found fascinating. Yeah. How many people would have thought they could go out and compete in the auto industry against all of the behemoths out there on a basis of one sports car and built what he's built? And so no I've kidding. got incredible respect and be great to get a chance to understand and his vision and story and where, what he went through. Yeah. I think yeah. on the other side, maybe going back on, uh, in time and in history, maybe in a completely different area, somebody like either Mother Teresa or Gandhi that really, I think, uh, to me, some of their skills could maybe be useful in the world today. Oh, isn't that the truth? <laughs> wow. Great answers. Really, really great answers. So, Greg, for those that want to learn more about you and learn more about Absi, where, where, where can they go to, to, to find out more? Uh, well, Absi, we certainly do have a website. On top of that, uh, we routinely will be going. We've got a couple of conferences, investor conferences that'll be webcast that we're going to. And I think as we go along the, the continuum, you know, we'll be hitting a lot of these conferences. We've got uh, several analysts covering us and a few others that are looking at that. And I think it's a good way for people to, it's where we'll be able to update people on what we're doing as yeah. an organization and keep yeah. them informed of the successes uh, that we're having with the science and how we're moving it forward. Yeah. Well, Greg, thanks so much for saying yes and joining. I was, I mean, from a forklift driver and a seven-year gap year uh, to what you're doing now, I just it, it's just really inspiring just to sit here and listen to the, the passion that you have for for the company and just your career path. I just I just appreciate you you know you saying yes to your first podcast. You know this is great. <laughs> well, thank you. It's it's less stressful than I thought it would be, but I will say it's still it's got some stress associated. <laughs> well, hopefully we calmed you down a little bit. You know, so well, thanks so much for the time, Greg. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Think Beyond Space, the PDX Workplace Insider podcast. To follow along and get additional insights from each episode, visit cressa.com slash Portland. Please also take a minute to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.